You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Well, it's a great honor and a privilege to introduce one of uh, a gentleman that's become a dear friend of mine over the last several years, uh, Brother Tommy Green. will be preaching here in just a moment. Tommy spent 19 years uh, at First Baptist Brandon. Uh, and was a pastor there for 19 years. His wife, Karen, is with him this morning. They have three children and three grandchildren. So we've been sharing grandchildren uh, stories uh, already uh, this morning. Uh, Tommy probably does not remember, uh, but I first met uh, Tommy Green when he was coming through Florida Baptist College as a student there. I was uh, a student there and first met Tommy, so it was neat for me to be able to connect with him uh, when I moved in this area. But a little over three years ago, it'll be three years and a couple of months, uh, Tommy has been the executive treasurer, executive director treasurer of the Florida Baptist Convention. Somebody may ask, well, what in the world does that mean? Uh, it means that we as Florida Baptists have asked Tommy Green to lead our state convention. And uh, you know as well as I do that the Florida Baptist Convention is one of the greatest Southern Baptist conventions in the denomination. And I've always been very proud and excited about that. I had a dear relationship with Dr. Sullivan before he retired. Uh, but our convention is in great hands now with uh, Tommy Green. And so at this time, I'm going to ask Brother Tommy to come and to preach and uh, to just have the freedom to preach as the Lord lays on your heart, brother. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. Well, amen. It is a privilege to be with you today and so excited to come to share at First Baptist Avon Park. Uh, actually, uh, probably about five years ago, you hosted a regional prayer meeting and had the privilege of over and leading that on a Monday or a Tuesday night. We had a great time with other pastors across this region. But so excited about your church and grateful for your commitment to missions and your faithfulness to the cooperative program. Uh, that is the way that we network together to reach the world as we are able to share our resources to help fund and fuel the fire of missions that go not only in Florida but across the United States and to the ends of the earth. And so we're excited for Pastor John and for the new grandbaby. Uh, you know, I told him, I said, you got to have pictures up on the screen. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't have a day you don't do that after your grandbaby's born. But I know that uh, they are excited and we, we rejoice with them as well. I would ask you today to open God's Word to the book of Jude. Jude only has one chapter, so uh, it's Jude. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 3. And I would ask you that if you're able, would you stand in honor of God's precious Word, the book of Jude, beginning with verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, 
I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Heavenly Father, we pray your blessings upon your word today. We know that you have inspired your word. It is your perfect word. And we pray that we will hear what the Spirit will say through your word, your living word, into our lives today. Father, may we be receptive, may we be responsive, may we be obedient as your children to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. We ask, we pray this today in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The challenge of this scripture is to contend passionately for the faith. Our generation is being called to stand up and to speak up for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. We join generations of brothers and sisters in Christ who in days past have been engaged to, have been commanded to engage the culture with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church, the people of God, we find that we are under attack and we cannot retreat. We must contend. We must be contenders for the faith. One Sunday morning as I was preaching at Brandon, we had multiple services, three different ones on Sunday morning. And in between the services, one of our leaders came and said, Pastor, could you come with me? And so I said, well, sure. And so we went walking uh, through our campus out to the area where Parsons Avenue was on a border of our campus as well as other streets that surrounded the area where our church was found. He said, you need to see this. And as I walked outside and saw the site, I was not prepared for what was before me. For on that day, there were individuals who were lining the sidewalks around our church, picketing our church. They had signs that had all different types of very ungodly statements that were printed on them. There were individuals who were out there who were strippers, who were not even hardly dressed. There were people who were transgender individuals. There were individuals who were openly homosexual. There were individuals who were there taking a stand against a stand that we had taken as a church within our community. Because there was an adult entertainment bar that was going to open in the middle of Brandon, Florida. And when we found out about this, we immediately began to stand and to speak up and to speak out against this. We tried to rally others to come and to be a part of this, but yet you find that when you choose to stand, there aren't a lot of people that want to get in that line. There aren't a lot of people who want to stand up for what is biblically true in our culture today. And as we took this stand, the individual named Joe Redner, who literally is the kingpin of adult entertainment across central Florida, led people and they came multiple weeks there picketing around the church. Now, I want to tell you, I mean, that's a, that's a really surreal moment when you feel that you're standing in the pulpit preaching God's word and there are people who are just outside the doors of your church screaming and shouting against everything that you are proclaiming of the truth of God's word within. And so we took the position that we're not
not going to, to be contentious against them. We will contend against them, but we're just going to show them the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we brought water out to them. Our Sunday school classes, as do yours, has donuts, and we brought donuts out to them. We tried to love them and just encourage them. I had elderly women who would park, who'd have to walk through all of this, and they would just stop and talk to those girls. They'd say, oh, honey, we love you. Why don't you come back next Sunday? And I'm like, well, that's what we want, but not really to come back and, and to pick it on the sidewalks, but, but nevertheless. But as we took this stand, it was one that was very unpopular within our area. We did not win the battle, but we won the war. But the battle was to try to stop this from happening. But yet, with political leverage and tremendous resources, they were able to sway and get the vote that they needed to position this club there at an intersection where across the road is a Home Depot and a Chick-fil-A. You talk about juxtaposition, that's it within a community. And what I found was this. I had so many young families who came to me and they said, Pastor, we stop at that red light. And our children look over and they see the sign and they see what's going on and they, they say, Mom, Dad, wh what is this? And, and, and they said, we use this as an opportunity to teach our children that this is a place where women are being degraded. This is a place where individuals are not honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and the children began, every time that they would come to that intersection, they would pray. They would pray for the people that were there. And I want to tell you, what we couldn't do by taking stands in many different ways, the children did when they began praying. Because within a year, the place shut down. And it went away from our community. You see, when we contend for the faith, we realize that it's not going to be popular. It's not going to be easy. When we contend for morality and righteousness according to the truth of God's word, there's always going to be those who are going to try to intimidate and those who are going to try to demean the very work of the kingdom and the work of the church itself. And the scripture clearly teaches believers concerning this battle. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, The thief comes except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. James writes in his epistle, Therefore submit to God and resist the devil. Because he will flee from you. John, the great apostle in 1 John 4, 4 writes, You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so God's word clearly places a context around contending for the faith. And when we come against the evil one, we know that evil has a face, and we know that evil has a taste, and we know that evil has a place. And the battle is real, and we need to be anchored in the Word of God if we are going to contend earnestly for the faith. And so this morning, I want to examine this admonition from Jude to contend. He says to contend, 
Beloved, contend to those, contend. He is calling us to take our stand in our culture, in our generation for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what do we see in these two, uh, these three verses that we have read today? We're able to first see that Jude teaches us a very real truth. I must decrease. If I'm going to contend for the faith, I must decrease. Now that sounds counterintuitive. If I'm going to contend, why do I need to decrease? Shouldn't I be expanding? Shouldn't I be blowing up? Shouldn't I be somehow boasting? Not at all. Jude, by his own testimony, reveals the key to being one who can faithfully, fruitfully, effectively, and efficiently contend for the faith. Notice how he identifies himself in the very first phrase. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. The identity of Jude reveals volumes about his life and his faith. The word bondservant is a very typical word used within the scripture. It is the word doulos, which carries the concept of one who is a slave, one who is a servant. He takes a word that was very familiar in the culture of that day. Unfortunately, they had individuals who were slaves. They were bought and they were under the authority of their owner. And yet we find that the New Testament writers took this, this phrase that had a very negative connotation in the culture of that day, but they gave it a very positive reality in their understanding of who they were now in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are under His authority, and we are His servants. We are at His bidding. We will do whatever, wherever, whenever he asks of us because we have one loyalty, we have one Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. Now for an individual to come to that understanding within their heart, you must decrease. We must be willing to say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. We must be willing to surrender everything of our life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We must be submitted to Him as a servant in every way. We find this testimony of many individuals in the Word of God as it relates to their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 3.30, John the Baptist said of Jesus, He must increase, but I must decrease. In 1 Corinthians 6 and in Philippians 1, Paul will say, For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Everything of your life is to the glory and the honor of the Lord. In Philippians 1, 21, that very familiar statement of Paul, he says, For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And then we find this testimony of Jude. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. You see, something happened in Jude's life. Something changed in Jude's life. The focus of Jude shifted when he became a believer in Jesus Christ. And we're able to discern this truth through the very next phrase of verse 1. He says that he is a brother of James. 
Now this helps us to begin to identify who Jude is. James was a leader in contending for the gospel in Jerusalem from A.D. 44 unto his death by martyrdom in A.D. 61. He wrote the epistle of James and Jude identifies James as his brother. Now the word that is used here carries the idea of a family brotherhood. They were kin. They were blood brothers. So who is this family? Who is the family of James and of Jude? Well, I'm glad you asked the question. Because in Matthew chapter 13, we find exactly these individuals being identified. Jesus is in Nazareth. He is in his own hometown, among his own people, among his own family, among his own kin. And they rejected him. They, they denied him and his ministry. And remember, it says Jesus did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. But just prior to that, we read these verses. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brother James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude. Do you hear what I said? And his sisters, are they not all with us? When did this man get all these things and they were offended at him? James and Judas Jude are brothers of Jesus. Can you imagine this? Here is a man who grew up in the same household as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when Jude identifies himself to the readers for all time and eternity as God's word will stand, Jude states, I'm a brother of James, but I am a servant of Jesus Christ. I must decrease. From an identity as a brother to an identity as a servant. Jude fully embraced the divinity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. Jude totally trusted the incarnation of Jesus. Jude completely acknowledged the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jude absolutely accepted Jesus as his Lord and as his Savior. Jude did not tout, I'm a brother of Jesus. He did not demand or claim any level of entitlement. He didn't feel that this gave him any star power among the people. He humbly declared that he was a servant of Jesus. The focus of his life decreased to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 1.14, prior to the ascension into heaven, we find that they had gathered there in Jerusalem and it said, these all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. You see, Jude was there when he ascended into heaven. And Jude saw and Jude believed and it changed the focus of his life. Jude was a voice of the gospel as well there in Jerusalem. And he lived his life contending for the faith 
contending earnestly, contending passionately as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, when he instructs us to contend, he isn't saying you do it, but he didn't do it. No, the fact that he was willing to stand for the gospel and stand for the Savior and battle and contend passionately and earnestly led to his own martyrdom in A.D. 65. I must decrease. But then we continue on in this text. We see that he must increase. If I am decreasing, Christ increases. If I decrease unto the Lord, then Christ increases within my life. In verses 1 and 2 it says, to those who are called, sanctified, preserved, Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. You see, faith is increased in Christ. And faith increased in Christ is faith that is blessed and faith that is anointed. Now notice those those coupling of triplets that we find there. Called, sanctified, and preserved. Called. He first loved us. And by His Spirit, He first calls us. We don't stumble upon Jesus Christ. Christ calls us unto himself by and through his Holy Spirit. He first loved us. He gave his life for us. And there upon the cross he shed his precious blood for our sins that whosoever will call upon his name they shall be saved. And it is by his Spirit that we are drawn unto the glorious salvation of Jesus Christ. And in order for us to be saved we must humble ourselves, we must repent of our sins and we must confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We decrease, he increases in everything that is found within our life. Called, sanctified, having that affection for, demonstrating your love unto. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, but yet he imputes his righteousness into our life. And sanctification is an abandonment to Christ. It is to love Jesus with all of your heart and soul and mind and body and strength. It is increasing through faith and holiness and purity and righteousness. Sanctification is growing and maturing in the Lord. It requires discipline. It requires discipleship. It requires accountability. It requires mentoring and coaching and teaching. It requires just decreasing of your life and increasing of the life of Christ within you. And every believer is called to be sanctified as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Called, sanctified, and preserved. And the gospel is that Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And when he acted upon our behalf, he gives us eternal life. Never in the scripture does it say temporary life. Never in the scripture does it say partial salvation. We are saved to the uttermost in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are preserved in Christ Jesus. Christ keeps watch over you, preserved. Christ guards you, preserved. Christ holds you fast, preserved. Your salvation is sealed and it is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter would write in chapter 1 of his first epistle to an inheritance 
that is incorruptible and that is undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So if we're called to contend for the faith, we decrease and he increases. But as he increases, he doesn't leave us ill-equipped or unprepared. No, he calls us, he sanctifies us, he preserves us, and we are to go into battle under the guard, under the covering, under the love, under the grace, under the mercy, under the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are called to contend passionately for the faith that was once and for all delivered unto the saints. May your faith increase through all that Christ has done for you. And may the power and the presence of Christ increase daily within your life. And then Jude adds to the amazing blessings and benefits of salvation in Christ. For there in verse 2 As he says, we've been called, sanctified, and preserved. He then says, God is going to multiply over your life mercy, peace, and love. Whoa. Is there any greater promise today that we have as a believer? When we draw fearful about standing for the Lord, when when we become reticent in speaking gospel truth, Christ says, remember, I'm the one who has called you. I'm the one who is sanctifying you. I'm the one who has preserved you eternally. I am the one who is granting into your life mercy and peace and love. And so as you increase your faith in God, God multiplies his plan and his purpose over your life. What of your time, what of your talent, what of your treasure are you increasing by faith to Christ? You cannot live a victorious Christian life without abandoning your life to Christ. Take up the cross daily and follow me. And this requires intentional obedience and it requires strategic commitment unto Christ. Now again, we see this beautifully illustrated within the scripture in the early church. I mean, think about Following the ascension of Christ, the Holy Spirit fell down upon those who were believers in the Lord. And the gospel began to go forward from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And these individuals were coming together under great pressure, under great persecution. They're in house churches. They're being thrown into prison. They're being exiled. They're being martyred right before people in public, and yet they contended earnestly for the faith. In Acts 4.31, we find a very pivotal prayer meeting, a pivotal moment in the life of the early church. It says, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke The word of God with boldness, boldness, contending for the faith. Shaken, God had to break some things off their lives, that sanctified part of walking with Christ. He increases, we decrease. Filled, giving us what we need, mercy, peace, love. 
to speak the word of God with boldness. He meets all of our needs according to the riches of his glory. We are inexcusable if we're not contending earnestly for the faith. But they prayed. They prayed. They prayed. Now there are many different words that are translated in the English language for prayer from the Greek language. And the one that is used here literally means to beg. It means to be desperate before God. Now, I'm not being critical, not being judgmental. I'm speaking in my own life. You know, I pray. We all pray. A lot of times, just praying for what I need in my life. <laughs> oh, well, by the way, Lord, bless the missionaries, bless the churches, bless the pastors. You know, we just got those little rote things that we, we do. But that's not how they prayed here. I mean, you, you can just see them falling on their face before God. And Lord, outside of your intervention... Outside of your increase among us, we can do nothing. But Lord, in you, we can do all things. And they prayed. And as they prayed, the place where they were assembled together, unified, to contend for the faith, it was shaken. I mean, they didn't have pews. I don't even know if they had chairs. But wherever they were, it was just a rock and roll moment, I want to tell you. But the idea, not only were they shaken outward, they were shaken inwardly. God was just doing something in their life. We don't like to be shaken. We like being filled. But before we're going to be filled to contend earnestly, there are things in our lives that we must get right with God. If we're going to contend earnestly for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And all of that was birthed through prayer, increasing the Lord, decreasing themselves. Have you ever had anyone pray desperately over your life? Have you ever prayed desperately over someone's life? I grew up with two grandmothers that prayed earnestly and desperately for me, not because of health issues. Just because they wanted me to love the Lord. And they prayed over me. One of my grandmothers lived just a few yards away from my home that my parents were in. And I'd ride the school bus home. I'd get off the school bus and, and I would stay with her until my parents, who both worked outside the home, would get home. And so from the time I was a, you know, just an elementary school up through, through, through junior high school, what they called it back then, I, I would be with her. And, and, and she loved to cook stuff, and, and she cooked these little sugar cookies. Man, the best things you ever had in your life. And if I got off that bus, I could smell them about the moment I got in her front yard. And, and, and man, she had me at that moment. Anything she needed done, I would do to get to those sugar cookies. So I'd get in the house, and she'd say, I want you to do your homework. I was the best homework doer in America. I want to tell you, I could get that homework knocked out to get to those cookies. And then she would say, sit down here on this couch. And I just remember... Day after day, year after year, my grandmother would sit me on, my, on the couch in her living room and she would sit beside me and she would open up the Bible and she would read the scripture over my life. Now, we were in church. I mean, you know, it that, that wasn't the fact that I didn't know what the Bible was. I mean, I, I knew what the Bible was, but she read it. Now, I knew I had to listen till she got through because I wanted to get to the cookies. And so I was always a good listener. But I didn't realize, even at that point, how much her speaking God's word over my life allowed me to hide that word in my heart. And then I can still remember her putting her little hands up on my shoulders, and, and she would just start praying for me, just praying over my life, praying for my salvation, praying for my life to be faithful and 
given to the Lord Jesus Christ. My other grandmother had a little bit different approach. She was a real happy kind of praying person. She would sing and shout and all that kind of stuff. And I'd get into her house and, 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 and she'd say, oh, sit down here. And I'd sit down. And, 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 and when she would pray for you, she liked to grab your cheeks. And she'd just pull them, you know. And, and, and she'd pull them like right in front of her face while she's praying. You know, and you, just, you, just gotta, you just kind of become, you know, a contortionist with her. And, um, and, and, and one of the reasons that that's kind of important in this, I mean, I grew up in North Alabama, so, you know, you got to give me a pass. Forgive me for, you know, some of those things. I can't help it. That's just where I grew up. I love it, but that's where it was. This grandmother dipped snuff. Any of your grandmothers dipped snuff? Yeah, don't get all holy on me. A lot of you are raising your hand in here. I, and she did. And I remember she grabbed my cheeks, and she'd get me right here, and I'd be thinking, say it and don't spray it. You know, whatever you're going to do, you know, over these next few moments. And she would just cry out to the Lord. And she would sing, and she would pray over my life. Now, I don't understand what people know in heaven and what they know about what's going on on earth. I have no idea. But I really hope and pray that somehow that both my grandmothers know that their prayers did not go in vain. And that every time in the daily walk that I contend for the faith, I think about those prayers that have covered my life. I must decrease. He must increase. But then the next part of what Jude moves us to is that we must release. We must release. Notice what he says in verse 3. Beloved, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. We are in this fight together. We are. Out of every tribe, out of every tongue, multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational, multilingual, we're all in this together. We're one family in the Lord Jesus Christ with a kingdom call to contend for the faith. Christ has called his church, but we need each other. There's one body, one spirit, there's one Lord, one faith. One baptism, one God, one Father is above all, through all, and in you all. And then together we must release our lives to the faithfulness of the ministry of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Together we must contend. The word contend means to fight. It means to struggle. This isn't some pretend video game. This isn't something we've watched on TV where we know in the end everything's going to kind of come out all right. We don't know, but God knows. We can't see, but God sees. And if God has called us to contend, we trust the fact that he will keep us, he will guard us, he will preserve us, that we are his children. And we are in a cultural war. We are in a battle for the worldview around us. We are in a societal struggle. Just think about the realities day by day day, racism, social injustice, abortion, physical abuse, emotional abuse, financial abuse, mental abuse, sexual abuse, broken lives in families, confused sexuality, a post-Christian culture, crime, poverty, radical beliefs, terrorism, fear, uncertain future, intolerance, immorality, homelessness, religious liberty at stake, sexual identity issues, liberal agendas, moral relativism 
relativism, prejudice, violence, human sex trafficking, bigotry, addictions, lying, bondage, cheating, stealing, anger, hatred, greed, pornography, bitterness, envy, secret sins, presumptuous sins, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the weak, the wounded, the beaten, the berated, the forgotten, the forsaken, isolated and abandoned. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God and that is the battle that we face every day. Are we going to be found faithful? Or are we going to retreat into what we believe is the safety of our sanctuaries? Believers, we must contend for our community, for our city, for our state, for our nation, and for the nations. You must contend for Avon Park. You must contend for your church. You must contend for your family. You must contend for your marriage. You must contend for your children. You must contend for the truth. You must contend for the faith. You must contend for the gospel. But in order for us to contend, we first have to deal with things internal before we're ever going to be effective external. We have to look in our own heart. And Lord, if there's anything that must decrease in my life in order that you might increase, in order, Lord, that I'll be faithful to release my life in service unto you, to be identified simply as a servant, Lord, totally surrendered, totally submitted to your lordship and to your will. Lord, I will pray. I will humble myself. Lord, shake me that I can be filled to speak God's word with boldness. You see, from that prayer meeting in Acts 4, by the time you come to Acts chapter 17, verse 6, the Bible says the ones who have turned the world upside down. Who are those ones? It's the ones that prayed in Acts 4.31. And in one generation, in 30 years, they turned the world upside down, contending for the faith, once and for all delivered to the saints. So this morning, Based on the word of God and the leadership of God's Holy Spirit, I want to issue a call to this altar. Come pray. Come to pray. Come and pray. To say, Lord, I want to decrease. Convict me. Shake me. And Lord, I want to repent of anything in my life that hinders me from being faithful unto you. Come and pray. Come, cover the front. Prayer at this altar. Come, sit at these pews if you can't kneel down. But together, together, we need each other in Christ. And pray. Deacons, come, lead, pray. Teachers, come, lead, pray. Committee members, come, lead, pray. Music people, come, lead, pray.
People who are faithful Sunday after Sunday, come, lead, pray together, together, that we would contend in a way like we've never contended before for the gospel within our community. I must decrease. He must increase. And we must release. Written from a man who grew up every day side by side with our Lord and Savior. But yet he saw who he was and he believed. And he no longer identified himself in that way. He now said, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you come today with that being your prayer? There may be individuals here today that the Lord is speaking to in regards to salvation within your life. His Spirit is calling you and drawing you to that place. If that's a commitment that you are led to make today, then we encourage you to come. Share with Pastor. They'll walk through whatever steps there are in you making that decision and following Christ with your life. We want to encourage you in that way today. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for your holy truth. Lord, we are inspired by these men and women of great faith whose lives were surrendered to you, who stood boldly and contended for that faith. Lord, forgive us that we have become a generation that we're more concerned about buildings and budgets and programs. We're more concerned about things that are really important but not critical to the kingdom and we change the priorities of your word but father we want to be people who will contend faithfully for you and so I pray Lord in these next moments as this uh, team begins to sing and lead us Lord that there will be families there will be individuals there will be couples who will just feel compelled to come and just join together here and to pray I must decrease, he must increase, and we, we must release our faith, our lives unto the Lord in this community and beyond. But Father, we pray just for the freedom of your Holy Spirit. Lord, it may not be something that we are comfortable in doing or even something that, that we, we are accustomed to doing, Lord, but I pray it will be something that you lead us, and Lord, today we will do what you have asked us by your word, by your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand, I'd encourage you now, God is leading you to.